Um, this next week we'll be starting that, and uh, it, we're going to be talking about the title of this is in the next week's title is in this generation, and what it's talking about is how do you how do you stay righteous in the generation we're living in? How do you stay moral in the generation we're living in? And so, in this generation, how do you live right? So that'll be next week. Kids, if you didn't get it, you've got uh, your little fill-in sheets over there. And I really appreciate our ladies that put these together because I was sneaking a picture of somebody that was already working on theirs. And I thought, wow, that really has to do with what I'm preaching on. And so these ladies spent a lot of time, if you didn't get them, just get up and get them. But um, they really spent a lot of time that the kids are getting the same thing I'm preaching about. It's just in a different way. They'll have a picture and stuff like that. So I appreciate that. Today I titled the sermon, Choices, and we've got a lot of choices. I think almost we have too many choices now. We really do. I don't know know why that is, but I think with information flowing freer, um, parenting styles and all this kind of stuff, oh my goodness, you know, just sometimes I'm not perfect at all, and I know I'm not perfect as a parent, but a lot of times when I'm... You know, you're at Walmart or something, and you see a kid this high running the show for a bunch of adults because they're giving them too many choices. And that kid grows up, and I've got a choice. But all of us somewhere, somehow, have been in a situation where we did not have a choice. And so we struggle to make the right choices. And what's interesting, who gave us choice? God did. God, in Genesis, gave us the choice of free will to accept Him or reject Him. And so what we're dealing with right now in our men's Bible study, we're going through Acts, a little section of Acts, and I'm witnessing, and I think the next thing we're going to be doing in our Wednesday night Bible study is we're just going to do an open Bible study time. We're going to take a section of Scripture and just look, look through that. But that's what we're doing in our men's study right now, and it's on witnessing. And Paul, when he went to... Uh, to encounter the Greeks, he went to this marketplace and he went to a place where they talked about everything. Everybody's got a choice. And they just wanted to talk about it. Nobody was going to make a choice. They just wanted to talk about it. And that's our society. There are many ways to heaven. There are many paths to the afterlife. And God will allow you to choose a different path and to think a different way. But one day, depending on what you believe, and I believe this, not because I'm a minister, not because I've been trained or whatever, because I've chosen by faith through the information given to me to step out in faith that God is real, God is true, and God will do this. One day, we will all answer for the choices we make. And here we've been going through this whole series on parables. And guys, in our society, our society, especially if you watch sci-fi, fantasy, or anything, when they talk about the subject of hell, they add a lot to it or take a lot away from it. What we're going to look at today is from Jesus' mouth, a parable directly dealing on what hell is. Not, Not against country music, even though I think it's modern pop. Okay, let's get real. It's not country western. Okay, whatever. But a lot of country music has really bad theology about heaven and about hell. So, and it's not just country music, it can be rock or whatever. 
And even some Christian music has really bad theology. This parable, I want us to get ready. No debate. I'm not mad. This is what Jesus is saying hell is like. Now, if I was trying to decide whether what I saw on TV, whether it's fictional or not, whatever I've heard in music, whether it's fictional or not, I think I would measure anything I hear about heaven or hell off of this parable. And it's going to... I don't want it to be scary, but it needs to be a reality. It should create an urgency for you to make a decision, but it should create an urgency for you to help others to make a decision. And so we struggle to make choices, and we struggle to either accept Christ or, or reject Him, but here's your action step today. Make the right choice now. And continue to do that. Make the right choice now. Now, Julie, who I really appreciate her doing the slides, when I sent it to her, I didn't see her text till later, and I knew it was too late for me to text her back. Your points today are going to spell out the word right. And so I sent her my points, and she goes, does, does this spell out anything? And then she texts back, oh, I see it now. And I was going to, send it, I was going to text her back, yeah, that's right. <laughs> but anyway, let me get it later. Wake up, will you? Okay, make the right choice, and I would add now. Okay, delayed obedience is disobedience. And so what we need to understand, the background of Jesus' teaching. He's talking to the religious leaders. They are jealous because people are going to Why? It's not the bad being religious. I could care less about somebody being religious. I care more about them having a relationship with Jesus. Okay? And so the religious leaders were losing control. This is what was happening before Jesus is sharing this parable. Christ's teaching, he's getting popular, and, and he's talking about a relationship. He, uh, and the law of the kingdom he's talking about, and that everything is permanent depending on the choice that we make. And so that brings us to this focal passage here in Luke 16, verses 19 through 31. And you see, divided in this parable, you see life, I want you to understand, you're going to live forever. You're the only thing in creation. Yes, there's going to be new heaven, a new earth. There's going to be all the stuff we've enjoyed here, but sin will not be encroached on it. You're the only thing God created that has a soul. Made in the image of God, Genesis 1.27. So you're going to live forever somewhere. So your stages of eternity are this. Life, death, afterlife. And so you see that these three stages in this parable, and then you see two men, you see a billionaire and a beggar. And what's interesting, we don't think about this, but the billionaire, the rich man, is not named. But Lazarus is named. And all the parables that we have gone through, this is the only parable where God gives a name to somebody. And that name, Lazarus, which is interesting, I'm reading the Old Testament in Exodus, and one of Moses' children was named Eleazar, and Eleazar is Lazarus, and Lazarus means whom God has helped. That's us. We all need help. And so, I want to, I, that, that's neat. 
He's going to talk about what happens depending on what choice you make. And notice how he helped Lazarus. So two men, three stages, one common denominator, death, two different outcomes based on the choices they make. And so your first film, this is why we have to make the right choice right now. If you know that you don't know Christ, I'm not trying to scare you into anything, but delayed obedience is disobedience. And if you know you need Christ, when we have a time of invitation, you need to receive Christ. Not for me or anybody else, for yourself. Because I can't tell you when you're going to die, and you can't tell me when I'm going to die. And we need to have the urgency, because we're going to say, why, why do we put it on, if you, if you say, Pastor, we're going to live forever, why do you put it on that I need to do it right now while I'm alive? Well, he's going to answer that too. And again, we're building our theology on heaven and hell on what Jesus said. Not our songs, not our movies, not our TV shows. And you need to, this week, part of your homework, you need to ask the question, how have I, how, how have I built my theology of heaven and hell based on TV and music? And if it's nothing created to hear, you need to mark that off. That that's not true. That's not going to work. We need to understand that. So you need to do it right now. So we see here in verses 19 through 21, the billionaire and the beggar. So there was a in fine linen, and he feasted sumptuously every day. And at his gate was laid a poor man, uh, was laid a poor man named Lazarus, covered with sores, who desired to be fed with what fell from the rich man's table. Moreover, even the dogs came and licked his sores. You see two extremes. You see this billionaire, that he's living large. I, I should have had all of you having your own Super Bowl parties and you're fixing some special stuff and you should have brought samples for me. But in, our, in your Super Bowl party, it's like, hey, we don't have this every day because we can't afford it or we'd be three sizes too big, but today we're having it. Well, this guy was eating that stuff every day. Whatever he wanted, money was no object. So he was living to the extreme of opulence, while the other one, why was he laid at the feet of a rich man's door? Because he, one, physically probably couldn't do anything, so his friends are having to take him to the door to hopefully the rich man would give him something. That shows how destitute Lazarus was, that his friends were probably having to help him get there, and then he's got sores, and we all know that a dog's mouth is cleaner than a human's mouth, and a cat, even though I hate them, their mouths are really clean. I wouldn't kiss them or have anything to do with them, but we won't get into that. Okay? But the human bite and the human mouth are really infectious. Okay? And so part of you would say, well, a dog licking his sores, at least they're sanitizing. But dogs back then weren't foo-foo. They weren't the little baby. They were scavengers. So they're licking the sores to get some meat. Not trying to be disgusting. And now let's go back to he wants the crumbs from the rich man's table. We would think, oh, you know, he's eating a, a, a piece of bread and some crumbs are going. You want to know what that means when you look deeper into it? They would wash their hands. People, normal people would clean their hands before a meal by taking yesterday's stale bread and rubbing it in their hands to clean any debris. And she's talking about the crumbs from the stale bread from my dirty hands. 
he was even willing to eat that. Think about it. It's just like when you use lava soap, for those of you that have used it. It's got those granules. It's getting that stuff off. That's pretty nasty with a capital T. I'm drinking... I'm, I'm, I'm eating uh, bread that somebody's runs through their dirty hands, and then I'm... The dogs... The cutie little dogs licking me to clean me up? No. He's like, hey, you're looking pretty good as a steak. Eventually. Pastor, you're horrible. That's the truth. I am horrible. But anyway, we'll get... <laughs> extremely rich, extremely poor, no name, and named the one who God helped. Who needed more help? What's interesting, guess what? They both needed help. But society says... I want you to understand something. One thing that Jesus said other than when everything's made right. He said, the poor you will have with you always. And he instructed the church who the true poor are and how to help them. And this is not political. The church has surrendered its right to help the poor. And we need to help the poor. I think right now in our society, we need to help the poor get off dependence. That's where a church can help them do that. Because in our society today, the poor are helped, but when they start doing better, they suddenly are cut off from everything and they can't go forward. I think that's the niche where a church needs to be is help people get off of things You know, when they, when they start progressing. And so there's a lot of ways. We just need to see how to do that. They both need help. Not a common or equal factor when it comes to eternity. But now, let's look at the great equalizer in verse 22. Death. The poor man died and was carried by the angels to Abraham's side, and the rich man also died and was buried. One was carried and one was buried. All right? Let's see what happened to Lazarus physically. You say, well, he was cremated. No, they took him outside, outside Jerusalem or wherever he would have been, the city, to the trash heap. And I want you to understand, back then they had trash heaps outside the cities and they were always burning fires. This is why, this is why Jesus is using it as a description of hell, is where the fire never stopped. So imagine you had a place when we used to could do that, or some of us have a burn barrel, don't tell anybody, okay? But you had a place where you'd burn things. Well, the city had a place, and so everybody kept putting their garbage out there, so it was continually stinking and continually burning. So Lazarus wasn't cremated. His body was taken out to the dump. And he was burned. Rich man, so he was trashed. The rich man, according to society, was buried and treasured. But Lazarus was carried by God to Abraham's side. The rich man was buried, but both died. You live long enough, you're going to die. Pastor, you're so exciting today. You're such a, you're, you're so up. You know, I'm not, I don't mean it's a bad way, it's just reality. But I want you to understand, if you stop there, you're going to live forever. That should be exciting for you. Those of you that know that have made the, the choice to Christ, you're going to see them again. And, and Hebrews 12, 1 and 2 says they're looking at us from eternity and saying, don't give up. Hold on. Keep believing in Jesus. We're only seeing this dimly. They're seeing it in 3D, and it's awesome. So part of making the right choices in your next villain is realizing in the, in the end we all die. And again, 
That's not being mean. I, we, I'm not trying to scare the kids today, but most people, if you've grown up in a farm, it helps you to understand it is horrible when you see an animal die. But it also helps you see, you see some of the birth, the death, the whole cycle. When we hide people, and I'm just going to, as a pastor and a counselor, we need to use real words with children and people, not euthanism. Well, they went away. Where they go away to? <laughs> Better place. You know, their body wore out and they died. Not being mean, but we need to deal with these things and the realities, and you see that a lot on a farm. You see the whole span of life. But where we stop is, is they're dead and that's it. No. They're living forever, and we'll get into eternity here in a minute, but it all ends in death. So why, why should I acknowledge that and embrace that? Because there should be an urgency for you to make the right choice, and there should be an urgency for you to help others make the right choice. We, it, it is horrible when somebody dies. None of us are ever ready for it, and I don't think we should be, because we would dwell on that. But we need to understand this. This is a reality, but it doesn't end there. So then we see in verses uh, 23 through 26, the afterlife. And in Hades, being in torment, he lifted up his eyes and saw Abraham far off and Lazarus at his sight. You see the result of two choices in that verse. Hades, which is a Greek word for hell, which, uh, which the Jews viewed as the trash dump where the fire never goes out. One had been put in the physical dump, now the other is getting in the eternal. And you don't want to get in the internal. He's in torment. That word torment has a lot of different meanings. It is the testing of metal, but it was also the testing of coins. And in the society of that day, they needed to make sure that coin was real and not a fake. And so what they would do is they would strike the coin and they would uh, cut a little bit off of it to see is that real metal or is that a fake coin that somebody's trying to get by uh, uh, on me. And so it was considered a very, it's not that it hurt the coin, but what they're using here is this is a really painful thing. Again, so he's in torment. He's in physical torment. And added to that torment is mental torment because he can see what he chose to miss. Now we know, according to Revelation, that for Christians that choose heaven, there's no more tears. So we won't feel any grief, and that's God protecting us from us. Because we would. We, that would be torment for us to see people that we love in hell. But the people that have chosen hell can see the choice they made continually. Not because God is mean, but we need to understand hell is permanent. They had their time to choose while they were alive. When you die, it's too late. And you know what? It's not about me, but I wish more people would talk about that and get people to that point because that's the only reason we're here. Oh, man, I know I'm not, I'm not even talking about myself, but I've been to too many funerals where that is an intersection to help people understand where are you at and what choice do you need to be made. And I don't mean that you beat people up. I don't mean that you preach to them, 
But if, if you do not offer that person the fact of where are you going, shame on you. Because most people try to avoid thinking about death. I don't want to. And so a funeral or the death of a loved one is the only time it gets quiet and they realize, hey, what's going to happen to me? What choice have I made? So he was in torment and he saw what he missed out. And it was, continu- it was physical and it was mental. And if you don't heed God's Word while you're alive, it, it, it's too late in the afterlife. The choice is permanent. And so your next feeling, that's why we need to heed God's Word now. Heed. Thank you. <laughs> God's Word now. How many times with our parents, we, all of you could think of a statement that your parents would tell you all the time. Oh, and then we're mind readers. When you start telling your parents you know what they're going to say before they say it, do you think that makes us like that? No. If you're, if my child's a mind reader. They know what I'm going to say. Okay. You know, all of you could go back to something your parents told you, and a lot of you heed that now, but you need to heed God's Word and what He's saying here. I'm giving you God's Word. This is from Jesus. This is not a TV show. This is not a song. This is the theology of heaven and hell. Through a parable. Why do you need to heed it now? Because you don't know when you're going to die, and you don't know when your friend's going to die and your family's going to die. The urgency of the Gospel. Because it's a permanent... Why do we need to heed it? Because it's a permanent choice. After we... After we die, it continues to be permanent in the afterlife. So we see the permanency of he's going to always see what he missed because a loving God gave him the opportunity to avoid hell. Hell was originally created for Satan and his angels, but when we choose to ignore and and make the wrong choice, that is our permanent choice. So he's he's, he's physically in pain. He's mentally in pain from his choice. Not a loving God. A loving God is, is giving you this parable. A loving God is giving His Son. And a loving God is giving you choice. If, you're, if you choose hell, it's permanent. And it was your choice. And the only person to blame is yourself. Pastor, that's horrible. You know why? Because the only person to blame for my choice is me. Why am I so adamant about this? I'm not mad because... I am tired of a society and a church in general. I'm, not, I'm saying that overall, where this is not clearly presented. Because let's get real. If we're just going to be a Christian club where we all just love each other and get along, which is great, but never get to the reality of what got us there and what motivates us to tell people, then i got better things to do. Because there's a lot of loving people out there that don't go to church. And there's a lot of loving people that act way nicer than me. But it's only for right now. Hell is a reality. Heaven is a reality. And the choice is yours alone. And that's, there's no anger here. This is the urgency your pastor feels, and he wants you to feel, that you know what? The people next to me may not be okay. Now again... We've been taught in the church. I'm not talking about Bass Chapel in general. I'm talking about the people of God. We've been taught in the church, I've got to make them get saved. I've got to make them do this. Take that off the table. You don't make anybody do anything. You just need to tell them there's a choice to be made. 
tell them what that choice is, and as long as they want to talk about it, you talk to them about it. As long as they want to have a conversation, you do that. I can't make anybody do anything. But you are called to tell them, and that's what I want you to feel burdened about, about your own choice and about the fact that people know the choice. So anyway, so the mental and the physical are permanent. But here's another thing. Look at 26. And besides all this, between us is a great chasm, uh, chasm has been fixed in order that those who would pass from here to you may not be able and none may cross from there to us. That great chasm is, it means a gap, a gulf. C.S. Lewis, in his book, The Great Divorce, that's all he was talking about, that there is a, this great gulf, this great gap between heaven and hell. And I go back to us that are in heaven because of the choice we made, not because we're good enough. We're not going to... Obviously, they could see there, but we're not going to feel grief or remorse or hurt by seeing them. Because let's go back to Noah... Which, spoiler alert, the first sermon on righteous in this generation is going to be on Noah. But why did God have to shut the door of the ark? Because people were drowning, and regardless of whether they're right or wrong, I would have let them in the ark. God gave them a choice, and God shut the door. And this gap and this chasm is like, Okay, God did this. There's nothing I can do about it. And at least on the heaven side, it will not affect us. And again, if you think that's a mean God, I gave you three reasons why God is not mean. He gave you choice. He gave His Son. And He's given you time. So it's all on you. It was all on me. I am so sick of how can a loving God, because that is bad theology. Um... So notice, that means it's a fixed, permanent place. There, no one can pass. And the lack of acceptance of, of, of God before we die is a bad choice. And, and we see this. So still in permanent torment, he continues to plead. And so let's look here in verses 27 through 31. And he said, And I beg you, Father, to send him to my father's house, for I have five brothers, that they may warn them, lest they also come in this place of torment. But Abraham said, They have Moses and the prophets, let them hear, let them, hear them. And he said, No, Father Abraham, but if someone goes to them for the, from the dead, they will repent. And he said to them, If they do not hear Moses and the prophets, neither will they be convinced if someone should rise from the dead. He's begging them to send people to their family in order that they won't have to be in torment. He sees the urgency too late. And what does Abraham answer? They've got the Word of God. A lot of you are holding the Word of God right now. We have the Word of God. This is why it's important to give the Word of God to people, to let people know, hey, there's a free app. And this is an ESV. That's what I preach out of. I know a lot of you have good Bibles. And the reason I chose the ESV is it's really close to the original language, but it's also readable. And it's, got, it's just right in the zone. But I use ESV as an example, but there's no reason why somebody cannot get electronically a free copy of the ESV. And even the ESV, for those that don't read well, has an app or whatever that will read the Bible to you. I could go to my Bible right now and press a button and it would read any scripture I pick. Now that's just one thing. That's just one example. So the Bible is easily given. 
us as a church or individuals, when there's a chance for you to give a Bible to somebody, you do it. They've got the Word written. They've got the Word living. That's you, Christians. And what kind of translation are you? A loose one or a literal? Not by perfection, but again, we're going over the theology of heaven and hell today. And for some of you, that theology, you may have discovered, hey, that's not what I thought. Well, here's what I'm going to say. I will not argue with you. You argue with God's Word. And anything that you've thought about heaven and hell that doesn't go off this, you need to take that off your list and decide today and this week as you think about it, that's false. And that's going to maybe lead me to hell if I didn't choose Christ correctly, or it's definitely going to lead somebody else to hell. So we see here, he wanted them to give a sign. He wants somebody to go back. And notice you see his unrepentance. He didn't accept the fact that he's, he, he was so adamant about the torture that he said, no, this has got to happen. And he doesn't, he doesn't even have any respect for Lazarus. He wants Lazarus to go back because they believe it. And what I think is interesting, you have Jesus telling one of the last parables before he dies and he's going to rise from the dead. And he spent 40 days on the earth after he rose from the dead and he, and, and he, and he was physically seen by over 500 people at one time. And then he tells us, blessed are those who have believed and have not yet seen. And that's everybody here that's received Christ. If you saw Jesus, I'm not saying you couldn't, but according to Scripture, you're not going to see Jesus until He comes back. That you believed by the very Word of God. But yet, you'll look at Scripture like this and say, well... So you're going to do buffet Christianity and buffet theology? Well, I like this in the Bible, but I don't like this. If that is the case, I do not have the capability to tell you what is true and what is not, picking and choosing from the Bible. I know how we got this Bible through men and women that have carefully followed God's Word, that have carefully copied it, that have carefully that it all goes together, 60 plus books over a huge span of time that has one common theme, that's God. Only God can do that. You need to accept God's word, period. You need to discern God's word, and where it's not clear for you, ask him and where. I, do I understand the baptism of the dead? No, I do not understand that. I'm not going to dwell on it. I don't feel like we have to do it. But there's a few things, but it does, it's in the Bible, and if we researched it more, we'd understand where that comes from or what he's talking about. But for the majority, God's Word is true. The problem is, is we don't want to obey it. We've got to hold to God's Word. So Christ is, is talking to the Pharisees you know that faith comes from hearing and hearing the Word of God. And part of making the right choice, your next felon, is to tell people now. Go by the Holy Spirit. It doesn't mean you have to unload the whole, uh, whole apple cart, but the men in our Bible study were studying, and I'm, I really am getting led, we'll probably, we may go through that on Wednesday night too again. But we need to understand, a lot of times when we talk to somebody about God, we start with, I want to tell you how to get saved. Now, if you're listening and going by the Holy Spirit, 
And like Philip, when he, when he met the Ethiopian eunuch, the Ethiopian eunuch was ready to come to Christ. Most people want to talk about God or in general, and you get to God. And so, telling people, you need to go by the Holy Spirit. God, are you telling me to get specific? Or are we starting here? And again, I say it all the time, most people come to Christ through a long-term conversation with someone. Through several conversations. You've got to discern by the Holy Spirit, have I said, if I never see this person again, do they know the choice they need to make? When you're trying to make a choice, don't you like to have all the facts? Some of you guys are with people. I told, I told some of the people uh, that have been praying for me, I've got two individuals I'm dealing with right now that make my head hurt because they don't just accept everything. And they're not against me using the Bible, but I don't start there because they want to talk about logical arguments. And I start with logical arguments and get to God. But these are long-term conversations that I have to tag-team people with when I say, it's your turn, I'm worn out, I'm going over here. I can't fish yet because I'm a wimp. I don't like fishing in the cold. All right, go do that. But you see what I'm saying? We have these conversations that we've got to tell people. You need to go by the Holy Spirit. And if God is telling you, I'm not going to see this person again, or I don't know that I'm going to see them again, you need to be sensitive to what God is telling you. And always, here's where we met another mistake we make, Christians, 1 Peter 3.15. We just hit people over the head with the Bible when it says, give a reason for the hope that you have with gentleness and with peace. You don't make anybody do anything, so take that off your plate. But Christian, what do you do with the Great Commission that tells you to go to, and to teach to the end of the age? So we need to tell people now the urgency of the Gospel. You don't wait. So the question I have for you today, you know, um, in Hebrews he talked about the Israelites when they had a choice. And he, and he went from talking about the Israelites to the Christians that you need to make a choice today while it is today. Because if, if God has spoken to you, in a moment we're going to have a time of invitation, if God has spoken to you and you know that you're not a Christian, you can never, no longer say you do not know the truth. You can choose not to accept the truth and you can play the law of averages that you've got enough time. I don't know when you're going to die I don't know when I'm going to die. I don't think about that. I don't dwell about that. I'm just trying to love people and enjoy life. But I do have a peace that I'm saved because I've been a pastor so long and been educated. That's a bunch of junk. The only reason I'm saved is because I chose Jesus' righteousness over my self-righteousness. And the only thing I'm going to say in heaven, why are you here? Because of Jesus. So, you need to choose Christ today. We have a time of invitation. I'll be over here. You, you come. It's not about me. But you tell God, save me. I realize I can't save myself. I choose you. I think most of you have done that. I think where a lot of you are this week that you need to think about these points and you need to think about What's my opinion or view of heaven and hell? And if it's anything other than this parable and what Jesus says, you need to write down your false opinions, draw a line through them, wad them up, and throw them away. Because, guys, 
this is where why more people are going to hell for two reasons. Because of bad theology about heaven and hell, that everybody's okay, that there's levels, that it's not permanent, and that we can do something after we die. And we have no urgency to tell them that they need to make a choice. Again, you may be scared not to tell people because you think you've got to make them. No! Just tell them. Tell them their choices and leave it. As we stand on our feet, have a time of invitation or a time of commitment, you need to ask the question, am I making the right choice? Lord, I thank You for this day. I thank You for the opportunity to be here. I pray if there's someone who needs to make that choice today, they'll make it. And I pray for the believers that they have the urgency that I am going to hold to Your Word and Your theology. And I'm going to have an urgency to talk. Lord, lay on their hearts the people that they have put off. And that now they have the urgency that I'm going to offer them these choices. In Your name, Jesus. Amen.